Right, I am definitely not used to this and excited about it all at the same time. You can imagine that in Thailand we don't, we don't have the spotlights, so. But um, basically, when it comes right down to it, uh, some of you guys know about what we get to do in Thailand, what the Lord's provided for us to do. But when it comes right down to us, uh, Julie and I are a part of a school. We lead a school in Thailand, an international school in Thailand, and we get to use that platform of education. Well, it's not really a platform for us. It's our life. And we get to use it to connect with people and to share the life of Christ. And we're in the community of Thailand and in people's lives, especially students and families of the students and people who are connected with our school. And God uses it to change lives, change our lives first, and then change other people's lives. And it's a real exciting, it's an exciting thing that we get to be a part of. So when it comes right down to it, really, um, I'm at the most basic level. I, I know... There's a lot of different ideas on what we do when we're in Thailand. We, these guys are missionaries, and what does that mean? And, what is all, and I don't know all the different people who have come and spoken here before and what they've brought here. But when it comes right down to it for me, at my heart level, I'm just basically a language arts or an English writing and literature teacher for 11th grade. That's, that's who I kind of am as a person. And that doesn't sound all that exciting to me personally. I don't know. Maybe some of you get really excited about that. It's, it, actually, it is pretty exciting to me. I love literature and poetry and those kind of things like that. But God has this way of using who we are and doing great things. And it's not at all about who we are and what we're doing, but it's about that. So when, as I'm preaching this morning, I think you'll probably see that, hey, this guy's more of a, a language arts, literature, and poetry teacher than he is Maybe even a preacher or a missionary or something else. But maybe, as I, as I share some things, maybe God will use that in your life as well. So thank you for letting me be here. I want to start out, since I've kind of uh, put some parameters on who I am there and who, what, what we're doing, now I want to start out with maybe like a class might start out with me if I was actually teaching. I want to start out with Genesis chapter 1. Because Genesis chapter 1 for me is really important to me and my life, and especially as I was thinking about this thing that uh, you guys are talking about more in everyday life. That's the sermon series that, that um, is coming out of the study about who the Holy Spirit is in our life, right? And it's really interesting to me to thinking about what, what is more, because more for all of us, everyone, there is, uh, there's an opportunity for more for everyone wherever you're at. That's the cool thing about more and every day. That's the cool thing about the Holy Spirit for me is that no matter what it is for my students or no matter what it is for the, the parents that I get to hang out with, there's more for them. They're, whether they're the, the most educated person or whether they're the least educated person, the Holy Spirit has something for them. Whether they're a person who's been with Christ and growing in Christ for years and years and knows the Lord deeply, if they're an ascetic, ascetic person, they've been praying all their life, or if they just came to know the Lord, or if they're not even aware of the Lord's presence. There's, the Holy Spirit has more. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning, is that there is more. And for me, it starts all in Genesis chapter 1. Because as I was saying, I'm a poetry lover, and Genesis 1 is a poem. And this poem is sharing with you and with me how that more happens. There is a way that God, when God told this story from the beginning, he wanted you to know 
how this relational more thing happens with you and with him. Okay, so I'm going to read about it. And I love this poem. I love this poem. I'm just sharing a little bit of it, but notice when you, I want you to read it maybe with new eyes. Think of it as a poem today. I'm saying that on purpose. Because if you think of it as a poem today, sometimes we do different things when we think about poetry. So all of a sudden, God is trying to sing a song or share a poem or do something different than maybe just a story, although I like stories too. And I think it's a story as well. So, But he starts out with this. First this. This is from the message version. This is a, um, from Eugene Peterson's version. First this. God created the heavens and the earth. All you see and all you don't see. And the, the earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness in inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke, light, and light appeared. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light and the dark. God named the light day. He named the dark night. It was evening. It was morning, day one. So what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit's moreness of what he wants to do in our life? To me, Genesis 1 is about this relationship that we have with the Lord. It is a creator. This guy named Brueggemann uses, spins the words a little bit cool about it. He says, the creator creates creation. Okay? Something's happening here. The creator creates creation. Isn't that a cool way to think about it? Remember it? So what's happening here in, that I see is that the creator is calling light. He's calling out. And the creation does what? It comes. There is a response. There is a relationship, if you will. There is a creator who is relationally connected with the creation. So the creator says, come light. And what can the light do but come? What can the light do but respond? What can the creation do but do what this great, marvelous, glorious, amazing creator has for it to do? For me, this is the parameter of who I am in Christ. I know that I am his creation, and the creator has called. And then the question is, it's response for me. It's all about our response. And so when it comes right down, just to explain a little bit more about what we do, um, 11 and a half years ago, uh, actually let's start a little bit further back, about 15 years ago, we come to Jamie and Kim's living room and we say, oh, we have these dreams. We want to go to Thailand. We want to do all these things. We're excited about it. And why is that happening? It's because somewhere out there, the creator is calling. And me, in my very broken way, to be quite honest with you, very unsure way, my wife, in her very, she, she was, my wife, we, we were at the Antioch mission, you know, the World Mandate mission, and she's hearing the Lord so clearly, and I'm kind of looking at her going, all right, I, yeah, I guess we're doing this. What is the response? This beautiful response of 
a very complicated yes and maybe and I don't know, but the Lord having his way of calling us to respond. So we end up in Jamie and Kim's living room and say, we want to come and we want to go to Thailand. He says, I don't know about sending you guys to Thailand, which he was very wise in saying that actually. But we need to take some time and train you and do these things. And he did. And many other people came along with us, Randy and Anna and James and Laura and some other people joining with us as we did some training along the way, learning about what we should do. And the Lord used Jamie and Kim. The Lord used the church. The Lord used all these different things. The Lord even used my, he let me have an opportunity to teach in, in Grapevine High School for a while. And he used all of these in, order, in this relational connect of calling us. And in our different ways, in our efforts, we were able to respond and the Lord said yes to what we were doing. And ultimately it meant sitting in training school, thinking about what the Lord's was doing. And I remember it so clearly, Jamie calling us, calling us to spend time with the Lord every single day. How to do a quiet time with God. One of the most important and initial lessons in this creator creation calling. And at that time, you know, I, I was still kind of working on that relationship with the Lord. I was wanting to be a missionary. I had it all together, right? But there was this, still this thing that the Lord was doing, calling us to relationship with him. And I will never forget that because I know that Jamie still speaks that message. I want, to, I want you to hear him when he calls that message. What he's doing, if I can phrase it in a different way, he's using, he's speaking for the Lord's voice of saying, I'm calling and I want you to respond. Later we'll talk about this a little more, but one of the most natural ways that you can do this is just to spend time with the Lord. He's calling you to spend time with Him. It's not really that much more complicated than that. And so what happened? We ended up in Thailand in the first year. I was a total mess. <laughs> Why was I a total mess? And Yancey and Lynette are saying yeah to that over there because they were missionaries too one time and they were a total mess too. I'm sure of that, right? So... I was a total mess. How was I a total mess? Because I thought, you know, okay, we've responded to this call, so now God's going to make me this great thing that changes Thailand and does amazing things, and we will just change the, the city of Bangkok for the, for the goodness and glory of the Lord. And I realized that God's relational call for me at that point was to say, I'm going to love you and make you more of who you're supposed to be because... I wasn't it yet. And Julie wasn't it yet exactly, but she was way far ahead of me. And we were having these challenges, even in our marriage and in our life, until the Lord said, hey, it's okay, you don't have to save all of Bangkok. Why don't you go up north? And he called us up there, and we, in a funny way, in a weird way, responded. And then he called us to work at the school. And I said, Lord, I don't, I don't know. This can't be a call. I'm supposed to be this great missionary. I'm supposed to do all these magnificent things. And you want me to work as a language arts teacher for 11th grade for a few years. And the Lord was calling us into that. And the Lord has the way of using all of these things as we respond in our both very sophisticated and very broken ways to what the Lord is doing. And for me... It has become a very beautiful treasure to me to see how all of these steps have fallen into the place where I thought it would be this one way, but it wasn't at all. 
but the Lord was tender and kind to continue calling. And in my broken and, and weird and strange way and sometimes beautiful way, I was able to respond and Julie was able to respond. And we've ended up in this place where we get to uh, relate and connect with all of these people in Thailand. It's a beautiful and glorious thing. Now, I say that one of the things that um, I want to talk about now is that how I notice there is this brokenness. I recognize that there might be some of you going, yeah, but sometimes that whole calling thing gets a little bit crazy and a little bit messed up. And I'd say, I think that that's what happened. When Adam and Eve were going along and there's this thing that came along called sin, there was this issue of, you know what? I'm not sure about that call. I'm not sure about this creator. And in came to the world this issue of, am I going to respond to that call? And I feel it every single day. I feel Adam and Eve's challenge of, I don't know if I can trust you, God. Whatever happened with them at that moment is the thing that happens with me in many moments. And it's the thing that I see really apparent in Thailand. I do want to share some, some Thailand stories with you, but I want you, I want you to think about first and foremost, I, I get real specific and clear with my students in class when we talk about Genesis 1, 2, and 3, about this, the problem of sin really being a problem of brokenness in relationship. I want it to be that simple for them. I want them to recognize sin's not, it's not all about these, oh, I didn't do these rules, I didn't follow these commands, I didn't, no, 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 there was all these different things. No, when it comes right down to it, there is this creator creating creation. There's this creator calls, the, the creation responds and something happened in that creation where the relationship got broken, they did not respond. And so sin comes in, and sin is ultimately about not responding to our creator. And the relationship is broken. And somehow, in, especially in those 11th graders, something falls from their eyes, and they get really clear at some point. Oh, my relationship with the creator, it's broken. That's sin. That's really what the problem is right now. And it's, it gets real clear. One of the stories, um, particularly from our school this year that I'd like to share was um, there, one of our students was having a, a, a difficult time. There were, uh, they made some really bad mistakes. This is a, a kid who's a great kid. You would love this child. And I'm trying to be careful about how much I say because I don't want to give away too much. But... They, they had made some really big mistakes. And I was calling this student into my office. Um, this is not something that I always do, but it was a special occasion because of the relationship I have with the student and the relationship I have with their parents. And this is a Thai student for us. Um, I, I actually a mixed Thai student and, and an, um, another uh, nationality. And they came in, and the, the Thai parent came into the office with me. And 
we, I told the student, uh, this is what you're going to have to do. This is a, a relationship issue, especially a relationship with, you broke relationship with me and the school, and you've also broken relationship with your parents. And really the issue that was going to be much more difficult was actually the broken relationship with the parents because the relationship actually, as you might m- imagine in a whole lot of Thai families, the relationship just it really doesn't exist. And that's one of the reasons why, why a Thailand most needs Jesus to come. But anyway, the, um, we were sitting there in the office and we were talking about it. And I said, so what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to tell your, your mom about what you did. Oh, you know, oh, that's, a, that's a crushing thing, right? How many of us want to tell our parents when you're with the principal about what you actually did? So she's geared up. She's going to have to tell her mom. So she tells her mom, and I'll never forget the response of the mom. She's a Thai lady. And so she looked at her daughter, and the words that she said to her daughter were, we taught you better than this. And there was something that the Lord really highlighted in what she said. And I was able to share it with her, with the student later on. But something that, that was very clear in the mom's words, she is a Buddhist lady. She believes in the rule and the law of karma. She believes if you do good things, you will get good things. This is what the Buddha taught. This is what their religion is ultimately really based on. If you do good, you get good. It's really the law. You do good, you get good. And I have put good into you, daughter. I have put good into you for so many years. What should happen? Good. I've taught you all these things, all these good things. We've taught you the right way to go. And what's happening now? The wrong thing. Why this brokenness? It was, in a sense, it was kind of beautiful to see because there was this revelation of this thing is broken. This thing I thought was working, this relational connect that was all based on do, 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 do to get good, which is ultimately really what all these Thai families are really going after in Buddhism. And there's, it's all scattered on the floor, a mess because of what's just happened. No, there is a brokenness. The creator and the creation The creation is not responding. The child is not responding to the mother. And what are they supposed to do? And I'll never forget that picture of brokenness that I see um, so clearly in a lot of different areas. Julie, just a few weeks ago, we were um, with with some people who minister to young uh, 6th, 7th, 8th grade kids out in, way up in in the hills somewhere, and they're off in the village somewhere, and and the, the lady who's ministering to him is talking about how these families of these kids who are coming from the village, are, they have this huge decision at this age level because they're trying to decide, do I go ahead and keep them in education or do we go ahead and send them off to Bangkok, which means probably a life of, of prostitution. And so they're actually trying to decide this. And some of the decisions that they're making are very broken. And Why? Because all of this system of the creation responding to the creator, it's not happening. So moms and dads are thinking more about 
well, are we going to make it? Is this kid, can this kid really make it in the education system and make money that way? Or are they not, are they kind of stupid? They're not going to make it. So we better just go ahead and just go this other route while they still have youth on their side. It's a broken system that we're living in. It's a broken system that we get to see every day. And I recognize that there's a whole lot of brokenness in the system here in the U.S. in a very similar ways. So, my question is, wow. We're sitting here looking at, I'm, I'm still looking at this girl who's very broken, my student, looking at these other families who are make, take, choosing these broken decisions. I'm thinking, what do you do? This creator responds to creation issue is not exactly going the way I think that it needs to go. Um, I want to move on to another story, okay? So we're going to move on to the, to the second um, part of what we're talking about today. Uh, there's a parable that I want to share with you today. So I shared with you a poem, right? Now I need to share with you a story, right? Um, I love the parables. I love the parables because they're stories and they're always something in the stories that it's new to me, always. And it's Jesus who is telling these stories. So since I love stories, who could be the best storyteller of them all than Jesus Christ, right? But one of the things that's great, the, the, the thing that I love the most about the parables is how they work and how they function. As an English teacher, I'm really, I get really excited about particular about this. There's this guy named Fee, and once I read this from him, I really think he's got it going. He says that the parables function a lot like when you tell a joke. So if I were to stand up here and tell a joke that I loved from childhood, the joke would be, so there was a one-armed fisherman, he caught a fish this big. And so that's the right response. Now some of you are going, could you explain that to me? Now that's the wrong response. Because if I have to explain to you, well, a one-armed fisherman only has one arm, and usually you tell people about the fish that you catch that are this big, right? But if you only have one arm, you could only tell uh, uh, All of a sudden, something's lost there in the joke, isn't it? So the parables are the same way. Jesus is telling a story, and there's going to be a moment in the story, or there's going to be something about the story that makes you go, I get it. And you laugh. There's a response. I get the joke. There's a response. Jesus told a story. When he tells a story, he was looking for a response. The creator calls. The creation responds. This is what the story's about. So, now, honestly, I'm telling you a story I kind of have always hated a little bit. I'm telling you the story about the rich man and Lazarus. And there's this, if you know a little bit about the story, it's about this rich man who's up in heaven. Well, let's go ahead and start reading part of it. There once was a rich man, expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption. Conspicuous consumption. That, That sounds kind of an interesting way to... Nice alliteration there. So, A poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, had been dumped on his doorstep. doorstep. All he lived for was to get a meal from scraps of the rich man's table. His best friends were the dogs who came and licked his sores. Then he died. The poor man, this poor man, and he was taken by the angels to the lap of Abram. The rich man also died and he was buried. 
in hell and in torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham in the distance and Lazarus in his lap. He called out, Father, Abraham, mercy, have mercy. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue. I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you got the good things and Lazarus the bad things. It's not like that here. Here he's consoled and you're tormented. Besides, in all these matters there is a huge chasm set between us so that no one can go from us to you even if he wanted to. Nor can anyone cross over from you to us. The rich man said, Then let me ask you, Father, send him to the house of my father where I have five brothers so he can tell them the score and warn them so they don't end up here in this place of torment. Abraham answered, They have Moses and the prophets to tell them the score. Let them listen to them. I know, Father Abraham, he said, but they're not listening. If someone came back to them from the dead, they would change their ways. Abraham replied, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced by someone who rises from the dead. Why have I always hated this story? I've always just hated this idea of this guy, this rich guy, and Lazarus. And there's, there should be some kind of justice in us, right? Of feeling like, yeah, Lazarus got his due. But there's always something inside me that's still feeling like, I know which guy I am in this story. I'm the guy who's kind of hanging out right now and, not, not, and he's got everything he needs. Where am I going on this one? And actually, I see a lot of, a lot of missionaries use this story. And the reason they use this story is why? Because you've got the heaven and hell concept, right? So you can go, go down to the people who you're trying to talk to about God and say, well, you don't want to be like this rich man, right? You want to be like the poor man, right? You want, you want to be in heaven. Are you gonna, there actually is a heaven and hell, and we start to explain all the details about heaven and hell. And I, I'm not saying that there's not parts and components to that that help us to understand a little bit about heaven and hell and things that God's doing, but it's not the response that God, Jesus is looking for. It's not the point. So what's the point? Even my contemplation about, oh, which guy am I? That's not really the point either. The point comes at that point when the rich man's begging. He's begging to Abraham, send someone. Send someone to my brothers. Just send somebody. They'll listen. He says, Moses and the prophets. You've got years of people talking. and You've got preachers who come from Thailand and speak to you. You've You've got your Bible. You've got all these things. And what's the problem? The creation is not responding to the Creator. He's been calling through Moses and the prophets and the preachers and the teaching. They're not listening. I've got five brothers. I care about these people. I care about these people in Thailand. 
I care about these people in America. I got friends next door who are not listening. The relationship is broken. I see the relationships broken. My students are not listening. The, the parents are going to sell their children to prostitution. They're not, they're not seeing. They're not listening to God. God's calling them into a relationship, and they, they're choosing the brokenness. They're not listening. Oh, Moses, if you'll just, just send somebody, send somebody to tell them. And what's Abraham's response? If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced by someone who rises from the dead. It's not a happy story. It's a story that's affirming the truth that you feel that this relational connect, this creator responding to creation is broken. And I'm not necessarily trying to soften that blow right now, am I? Because we see it all the time. Because I see it in my students. She's still not a, she still hasn't completely changed her ways. The Lord has spoken to her very clearly through this situation. Has she responded to the Lord yet? I don't know. She hasn't. In, in my opinion, it doesn't look like she has. And so this is where we are in Thailand. And this is where you are in America with your friends. And so we're thinking, how? What's going to change? How are we going to do things differently? You see it every single day. People are choosing a career over spending time with the Lord. They're choosing their Facebook over a relationship with Jesus. What are they choosing over a relationship with the Holy Father, the God who wants to be with them and wants to be in relationship with them, has even set it up as the pattern from the very beginning. That's the difficult thing that we all see, and that's the thing that Abraham recognized. And it was the thing that Jesus was recognizing in the people that he was talking to, the Pharisees. They weren't listening. They weren't responding. And I'll let that hit for me. I need to hear this from Jesus not just for the people of Thailand that I see, but also for me. But I also want to step back and say that there is good news. The good news for Thailand, the good news for my student, the good news for these young people is that there is a Father in heaven who is still calling. And the good, the really good news is he went ahead and listened to the rich man's call. He sent somebody from the dead. The rich man said, well, if you send somebody from the dead, Abraham, nah, it's not going to work. But the father said, it might, it just might. We're sending my son, and he's going to go, and he's going to call, and the creation is going to respond. The creation is going to have an opportunity to respond. The Thai students are going to have an opportunity to respond. People who are using the prostitutes are going to have an opportunity to respond. We are going to have an opportunity to respond because Jesus went to hell. He went to death. And he came back, and he's alive again. And what is he communicating? Every single day, if you will, listen. 
He's saying, respond. The creator's still calling and he still has it for you. And this is the only reason that we have anything that we can do in Thailand in our school. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in Thailand in our school. This is how the Holy Spirit uses Jesus Christ and his story and changes people. And we see it. It's not anything about us. It's really quite simply that God still calls, that there is still an opportunity for response. And I don't have anything else. In fact, I'm going to call up, who's Jay, uh, Brian's going to come on up. And uh, honestly, he's going he's gonna, to um, he's gonna share with you, uh, if the God's doing something in your heart today, it may be that he's doing that. But I don't have anything else for the Thai people, and I don't have anything else for us, except for the truth that we get an opportunity that even maybe the people who are listening to the stories weren't aware of, that God's still calling and the creation still has an opportunity to respond. Pray for me. Pray for yourselves, your friends, the people of Thailand. Who is God asking you to be, to submit to and recognize this relational call that's happening in this story?